Let's pray. Father, we just invite you today, God. Lord, you're already here. That's a dumb prayer. I don't need to invite you. Lord, thanks for inviting me. Father, we just ask that you would minister deeply to our soul today. Lord, your word says that it does not return void. So, Father, I pray that today as we get into your word, Father, I pray that it would stick to us, Lord Jesus, and that you would help us when we leave here today to be changed somehow, Father, that we would never be the same. Lord, that we would be changed to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. Ever been caught in an awkward moment? Who has awkward moments? Yes, I have, I have tremendous amounts of awkward moments. The other day, I was uh, just at some random place, and this woman who I have never met before in my life came walking up to me and says, Hi, I'm gay. There was a pause. I was like, and a blurter. I've seen something like this on the Discovery Channel about blurting, and it just came out, and I, I didn't know what to do. I was just shocked. It was like three seconds of Awkward silence and chirping of crickets in the background. And I thought, only in Olympia. <laughs> I mean, where does, where does that come from? And then as I'm sitting there trying to figure out, how do I respond to this? She says, that's my name, gay. And I was like, of course it is. <laughs> I'm Seth, nice to meet you. I didn't know what to do. I took my kids to the Olympic Game Farm the other day. Anybody been to the Olympic Game Farm? It's cool. It's in Squim. It's up, it's up north. It's one of those places you, you drive your car to it. You got all the people in, inside and animals. You're just driving through like, it's, it's like a third world country zoo. It's like they didn't have cages for anything. They just let all the animals loose. They're just roaming everywhere. And you drive your car through it and they say, take bread with you. It'll attract the animals. So... You take the bread in your car, you give it to the kids, because you don't want the animals sticking their head in where you're at. So the kids have the bread in the back, and animals come up and stick their head in your car, like buffalo. And, I mean, all sorts of just stuff you don't want their head in your car. And, in fact, this is, this is the terrible place for people who like cars. They have a sign when you drive in that says, that says you, you're, you run the risk of extreme extreme damage to your vehicle if you proceed any further. You have to choose between your kids and your car. It's terrible. And I'm like, oh, my baby. I'm doing it for the children. And we go in there, and we, you start up and you, you, on this big plateau, and you look down, and you see this wonderland of, of animals. And um, you wind your way down, like in Jurassic Park. And it's, we got down there, and I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention until all of a sudden my kids are like, Dad, what's going on? I kind of was stunned and looked around, and I noticed nobody had told us that it was yak mating season at the Olympic Game Farm. I'm not kidding, man. There was like a whole herd of do a little dance. I mean, it was crazy. And my kids are like, Dad, what are they doing? And I was like, oh, man, they're, they're wrestling. Awkward moment. Terrible. Look, we gotta leave the game farm. This is bad news. Yeah. Here's one from the Bible. Check this one out. So, dad says to his son, Son, we're gonna go and we're gonna present a sacrifice before the Lord. We're gonna go worship. And son's like, All right, dad, let's go. And so they, they head off and they, 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 they get a couple days away, and dad builds this altar, and son's starting to put 
put some, some things together in his head, and he's like, Dad, I don't know what we were even thinking. Here we are, we built the altar, all is good, and we, we got the fire, and we got the, got the knife, but, and we got the wood, but Dad, we totally forgot the offering. And Dad's like, well, son, let's sit down and have a talk. Unfortunately, you're the offering. I mean, that had to be a weird conversation, right? I mean, how many of you parents have ever had the talk with your children? I mean, this has got to be worse than that, right? This is Genesis chapter 22. It's the story of Abraham. I'm going to read it to you. If you've got your Bible and you'll want to follow along, I'm going to be reading for a while. If you want to fall asleep, just lean your head gently on the person beside you. There is no promise, though, we won't come and stick things in your nose. Just tuck them in. Just... All right, Genesis 22. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and he said, My father! And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there, and he placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes, and he looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket in the thorns. And and he was able to, to offer that instead of his son. In verse 14 it says, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, and it is to this day on the mount, uh, it is said that on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I mean, that's a message in itself right there, right? Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. Why would God swear by himself? Because there's no one greater to swear by, right? I mean, that's it. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you and your descendants will be as the stars of the heavens and the sand on which is the seashore. I know this is really long, but I'm, I'm almost done. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies 
and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We've all read this before. This is one of those, those stories that the, the majority of people know, but I wanted you to, re- to hear it because there's some people here today that have never heard the story of Abraham before. But I wanted you to hear this. See, God had given Abraham this tremendous promise, huh? He gave Abraham this, this, this huge promise, starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was 75 years old, and God says to him, Hey, uh, if you'll trust me, and you'll leave the familiar, I'm going to bless your socks off. God told Abraham that he would prosper him financially, that his influence would be greater than the influence of anyone that he would even give him a son. He didn't have any children at the time, and God says, I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars of the sky. I'm going to give you more descendants than, than there are sand on the beach. And Abraham was blown away by this, and this was a huge, huge promise that God had given him. This would be the equivalent of, of going to Joe Schmo and saying, all right, here's the keys to the Ferrari, here's the keys to the Lambo, Here's the keys to the White House. Here's all the influence that you could ever need over the entire country, right? God is saying to Abraham, who's just average Joe, I'm going to make you the center. I'm going to bless you in so many ways that you, you, you can't even hold it all. I mean, this was a, a huge, huge thing. I mean, what could go wrong, right? I mean, with with one person taking on all this, all this stuff, all this weight. It was huge. It was a huge promise. Abraham had to be trustworthy. Why? Because God's reputation was at stake. Here's the people that God had planned. This is the very beginning of God's plan to show his love to the entire world throughout all of the future, right? started with Abraham. God's plan was to use the Israelite people to show God's love to the rest of the world. And it started with this one guy, Abraham. This was a tremendous weight because, see, if Abraham didn't have his priorities right and he got arrogant instead of humble, I mean, it could, the Israelites had a hard enough time staying close to God to begin with, didn't they? Keeping God their number one. But what would happen if the, if the first one from the get-go had been an idolater because he became arrogant and decided to put God on the back burner and start doing what all the cool things in the culture was, right? There was a tremendous responsibility here, and God had to bring Abraham to the place where he knew that he was number one. See, he had given God a pro- God had given him a promise. God wants to bless and multiply, but Abraham's priorities had to be in order first or it would crush and destroy him. My question for you today, has God given you a promise? Is there anybody in here that God has spoken a promise to you? Maybe you're in the... Abraham, like I said earlier, starting in verse 12 is when God had given him a promise. It wasn't fulfilled until verse tw- or chapter 23, right? A period of about 50 years. God had given him this promise and began to walk him through life to the point where he fulfilled this promise. But how many of you here have a promise from God? How many of you here have a word from the Lord that maybe you received a while ago that you're waiting for it to come, come to pass? And we're sitting right in the middle of it and we're wondering, God, when's this thing going to happen? I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about prosperity in the sense of 
God fill my bank account. I'm talking about things like, like maybe you've, you've, you have a promise in your, in your soul of having children, and you've never had children. And between you and your spouse, you've been wrestling with, with I want to have a child, but the doctors say that I can't. But somehow, deep down inside my soul, I feel like the Lord has told me this is going to happen. That's what happened with Abraham. What about maybe a promise of that special someone? Maybe you're here today and, and you're single and you've been praying and asking the Lord, Lord, I, 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 I'm, just, I'm waiting for your perfect one, Lord. And you have that promise down in your soul of God's got somebody for you, but you know you just want to wait for him, right? Maybe you have a promise of a home. Maybe a promise of something in your, something of a future, right? Something that God has spoken to you that you know this is, this is out there. I'm just not there yet. Maybe your promise is for loved ones to be saved, right? Listen, I, I can, I, I'm on that, right? My mom spent somewhere around 30 years praying for my grandma to give her life to the Lord. And a week before she passed away, she committed her life to the Lord with my mom, right? She had prayed and prayed and prayed and was faithful and faithful, and she knew in her heart that the Lord had had spoken something to her by way of promise that, that you keep praying for this person. The same thing happened with my grandfather, the same thing has happened with, with aunts and uncles that as people in the family who know the Lord have been praying persistently, just standing on this promise that they just hold to in their soul that God is going to do something. And then sooner or later, it, it happens. But there's still ones that haven't, right? How many of you can relate to this? You have promises in your, in your heart, in your soul that you know are from the Lord that you just haven't reached yet. Maybe it's to have joy again. Maybe it's to have freedom in your soul again. I want to give you a key today because the goal is we want to reach these things, don't we? We don't want to be stuck in the middle and stay there. But sometimes we do. We get to that middle place where we think it's been so long. I don't know if this is ever going to happen. And sometimes we begin to push the Lord away. And we just say, well, maybe it was just me. Maybe it'll never happen. But I want to remind you today, church, that that's not it. We need to put our trust in Jesus. He is faithful to fulfill the promises. That's why he swore to Abraham upon himself, because there's no one greater. There's nothing higher or more important on God's priority list than his holy name, right? Everything God does, contrary to some things, we're going to talk about this next week, but contrary to what some of us sometimes believe, God doesn't do everything for us. He does it for him. He does it to to confirm to us that he is great. And so I want to give you a key this morning. All right, listen up. Prosperity never precedes priority. All right? Prosperity never precedes priority. When I say prosperity, once again, I'm not talking about God raining down money into your bank account. Right? This isn't like a, a spiritual principle of being wealthy. This is, this is the things that I talked about, healing in your soul, for the fulfillment of the promise of God for your life. Jesus said it this way, I've come to give you life, life more abundantly. It's the abundant life. 
That is the prosperity I'm talking about. It's the prosperity that Jesus talked about, and it's what he has for each and every one of us. But I want to tell you again today, prosperity never precedes priority. And it's not until something goes on the altar of our lives, goes on the altar that our lives can truly be in order. It's not until something goes on the altar that our lives can truly be in order. Sometimes there's, there's a thing that we just know is in the way between us and God. Anybody ever had that experience before where you just know there's this thing that's just the roadblock between us and where the Lord wants us to be in our relationship with and to Him? It's that thing the Holy Spirit keeps going, hey, and just poking on it gently. Hey, this thing is here. Can we move this? That's that thing, right? I, I, everybody close their eyes for just a second. Give God about half a second, and he will tell you what this thing is. Now you know, okay? It's that thing that the Holy Spirit says, move this aside because I want your full attention Sometimes we think that, who knows what the first commandment is out of ten commandments? Anybody know? First commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? We think that God put that commandment there for, for him, right? Because, well, he's a jealous God, and he just wants to make sure that, that we know he's boss, right? That commandment is not there for God. That commandment's there for us. That commandment's there because God wants to bless your socks off. And he knows he can't do it because we can't handle the weight of it until he is our first priority. That's why the first and foremost thing God, is, God set up for us in those commandments was that we would put him first because he wants to bless us. For me, there was a, there was a time in my life that... Um, when I, I first got my uh, my first guitar, I love playing guitar, and I had I had asked I'd, I'd been looking for a guitar for a long time. I think I might have told you the guitar story, but um, back in high school, I got this guitar and I played this thing uh, from the time I got home from school to the time I went to bed. Wake up the next day, do it again. I joined the worship team at church. I mean, I just assumed if I play my guitar enough, the guitar will do my homework. <laughs> While I'm sleeping, miraculously, the guitar will take care of it. And I can just play the guitar. So I did no homework in high school. I just played the guitar. And, uh, yeah, it worked. I graduated. <laughs> they let me out. Well, there came a time where this guitar, this thing was the center of my universe. I had joined a, a band. I'd given my life to the Lord. And me and a buddy started a Christian heavy metal band. I mean, we were into it. That's all we did was, was play Christian heavy metal Right, I mean, it was just in, intense, and there came came a time when the Lord just the, it got louder and louder. This poking of the Holy Spirit on my soul that said, "I'm not number one right now. I'm not number one right now." And there came a point where I decided, "Man, that's that's got to be God," and I know it. But man, what am I what am I going to do? And this wrestling match ensued. Right, and most of us know what this wrestling match is like. And I decided I want God to be number one. God is my number one. And so I prayed, and I decided, I'm going to put this thing in the closet. And I just surrendered this guitar to the Lord. I stuck it in his, pack, in his box, and I stuck it in the closet, and I left it there for a month. 
And throughout that month, I would pray, and I just I spent that time pressing into Jesus, growing in my relationship with him, making him my number one. The time that I would spend playing my guitar, I spent it praying. I spent it sharing Jesus with people. I, I spent it growing in my walk with him and growing in his word, right? I made him my number one during that time. And during that time, I don't remember what it was, but there was some struggle that, that I'd been going through that just kind of built and built and built, and I'd laid it before the Lord, and it had been just a little over a month, and I, I just felt in my heart, man, I need to get that guitar and just, just worship Jesus. And I, I thought, no, no, I'm, I'm done with that thing for now. And as I continued to pray, the Lord said, it's okay. I know where your priority is. Get that thing and praise me. And I did. I pulled that thing out, and I worshiped God for like two hours, just just praising and glorifying him. And um, But I knew where my priorities were from that point forward. In fact, it was, it was probably... Uh, Around three weeks, maybe even just a month later, I received. I was at, at another church a little ways away. I was I was playing on the worship team, and during practice, I got a call at the church, which was just absolutely random. And it was uh, I can't remember if it was a representative from a band or a, a member from from the band. Uh, Audio Adrenaline. Anybody ever heard of them before? Who said, "Hey, we heard your we we got your name somehow, and we're having guitar player auditions." We're looking for an electric guitar player. Would you be interested? And I was like, holy smokes, that's huge. But in that time where I'd taken time away from my guitar, the Lord spoke something to me that that's not what my future was about. It was about sharing the love of Jesus with people, doing what, what I'm doing now. And so I was able to say to this guy on the phone, you know what, thanks for the, for the, for the invite, but um, I, I've got another calling, but thanks, bye. That was it. I would have been down a different road if I hadn't made that decision beforehand. It was just absolutely a random crazy thing, and I'd never heard anything from it since then. But it got my priorities in line. See, we want the promise, but most of the time we want it on our own terms. We want blessing and influence, but we have no understanding of the weight. See, God understands the weight of the blessing he wants to give you. He understands the weight of the promise that he's placed in your heart. You may not have thought of this, and I, I don't want to get, get weird, but you know what? The enemy of your soul has been watching you since the day you were born. He knows the things you love. He knows the things that you value. And he wants to find every opportunity to slip you a counterfeit. He knows the things that entice us. He knows our dreams and our aspirations. Why? Because we tell each other about them. We talk about them. We pray about them, right? And the enemy wants to provide a counterfeit. Most of you guys have heard this before, but do you know how, do you, how uh, professionals can tell counterfeit money from the real thing? They spend time around the real thing, right? They spend time learning what the real thing feels like and smells like and, 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 and probably tastes like. <laughs> Who knows? But they know exactly every, every little detail about the real thing. So when the counterfeit comes along, they go, oh, that's not the real thing. Done. Right? The enemy wants to slip us a counterfeit, and we need to wait for God's promise. The way we do that is by staying close to Jesus. Listen, in 1 Thessalonians, 
um, Paul had spent so much time preaching and teaching to the church about heaven, about what heaven would be like, about the, the glorious promises of God concerning heaven and heavenly places and heavenly things. Well, the church thought this was really awesome, and they thought, well, why can't we have that now? The, the enemy began to slip them a counterfeit. Groups in the church began to quit work. They would leave spouses because the, the, Jesus said that in heaven you're not going to be married anyway, so I don't, she's crazy. I'm gone, right? They weren't giving children in marriage because they said it's pointless. They were receiving a counterfeit. They had the promise of heaven. They had a promise of a glorious future thing that God had for them. But when the enemy came and brought a counterfeit, they didn't, they didn't recognize it and, 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 and took a hold of that thing. And, and so Paul ended up having to address the church. As you read through 1 Thessalonians, he, he has to address the church on this issue because it was he, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from God, right? A good and perfect gift isn't going to destroy your witness to the people you're working with, is it? This is what was happening. It was destroying their witness to the people around them because they received a counterfeit and were beginning to walk in that, and they, and they had to change that, which is great that they did. When others look at my life, do they know who's first by the way I act? Does my family know who's first? Does God? Anybody ever, ever had a leak in their roof before? Had a leak? I had a leak in my roof like a year ago, and it, it was the most annoying thing in the entire world. I had this drip. It rained, and I have a drip that come down onto my garage floor. And I go out there and wipe it off. And then half an hour later, there's a drip. Wipe it off. And finally, I decided, I'm going to try to fix this dumb thing. So I climbed up on my roof, and I looked around where this, this seemed like this leak was coming from. And... There was a nail. Somebody had driven a nail just straight through the roof, right? I mean, if it, it seemed to me like water was coming down to that nail and just running through and dripping on the, on the inside of the ceiling and the guts of the house and, and dripping down on my floor. And so I got some caulking. You know what caulking is? Just like gum in a tube. And I, you know, squirted that stuff all over that thing and smeared it all around and thought, done, that's perfect. And then it rained, and then I had a bigger puddle on my floor. A stupid nail. So I went back up on my roof. Next time it was dry, and I pulled up the eaves of every, everything within like a foot of this nail, and I caulked it all down from the sky. You could see this big black patch of caulking on my roof. That's got to be it. It rained. I had a bigger puddle. I continued to do that until like half my roof's covered in like black caulking. And finally, I called a contractor, my dad. And I said, Dad, you got to figure this thing out for me because this is driving me nuts. And he said, all right, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come over. We're going we're gonna to figure this out. So he came over, and this, this leak was right by, uh, by my chimney. I have a, a, a chimney on my roof, right? And it's like a, a big wood box, and then the chimney is actually inside that, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? And it was at the right bottom right corner of that chimney box where this thing was leaking. And so we took a hose. My dad took this hose. He said, go inside your, your attic in your garage, and I'm going to spray this hose in places. And when you see the water start coming down, yell at me, and that's where the water is getting in at and running down to. Sounded great, huh? That sounded like a great idea. So he's spraying the water around, and, and 
Finally, I'm like, it's leaking. He stops, and I go out there, and I'm like, all right, man, where was it? It's got to be like right by that nail. Man, it was like 15 feet away. It was getting in through, through the back side of the chimney. There was a little piece of rot on, on the trim. The water was running down that, getting behind stuff and running down underneath everything. I mean, it was absolutely insane where this water was coming from. See, when we stop putting God first, problems can show up in areas that seem totally unrelated, just like this leak, right? For instance, in parenting, in our children, in our job, and we may think sometimes, well, the problem's my kid. They're crazy. And we'll, we'll hound our children and, we'll, and we'll, we'll try to redirect our children and do all these things to try to get them to, to be different. And nothing changes and we're going, what's wrong? Or something's happening at work and we're trying, we're, we're staying later hours and we're doing all these things to try to make this thing work and something's still not, not changing. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us, right? Sometimes the problem isn't the thing we think the problem is. Sometimes the problem is our priorities, right? When we put Jesus first, when we get our priorities in line, and we, and we make Jesus the number one priority in our life, it lines things up. So back to Abraham for just a minute. I love the Bible story about Abraham, right? Here we have this, this 60-year-old guy in the Bible stories, right? 60-year-old guy, and he, uh, he's got this eight-year-old boy with him, and they go up to the mountain, and, uh, you know, he wrestles this boy down, and, and the angel's like, no, don't do it. Did you know in reality, in all factuality concerning this, this, this passage in Genesis 22, Abraham's about 130 years old. Scholars today say that Isaac was probably somewhere between 18 and 22. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he said that Isaac was 25. And another uh, historian of antiquity said Isaac was most likely 33. So my question is, how did this old man get the whoop down on this 25-year-old strapping young buck, throw him in cuffs, and put him onto a pile of wood? See, the story tells us, what we know from the story is, is number one, that, that Isaac's old enough and strong enough to carry a pile of wood, go on a three-day trip, and hike up the side of a mountain. We know that Abraham is able to carry fire and a knife. I would prefer those two to the wood, but this tells us something. I don't think that that Abraham had to wrestle Isaac to the table. And now let me, let me pause for just a second. What I'm telling you is called allegory. Allegory is when you take two bits of scripture and you read between the lines. The majority of the time, I, I don't want to teach on allegory because it's not scripture, okay? But what I want to tell you today, I, I, I can back up with scripture pretty well and if you want to have a conversation about it sometime I'd be happy to meet with you about it but I think that scripture backs what I'm what I'm going to say up and so that's why I want to share this with you today all right there are some churches out there that will build doctrine on allegory we never build doctrine on allegory it's not scripture it's not what the text says right are you following with me right we don't build doctrine on, on allegory we we build doctrine on the text but let me share this with you I don't believe that Abraham had to wrestle Isaac to the table because Abraham 
knew that God was number one in his life. Abraham put God first in everything. The Bible says he was a man of faith, right? I believe he raised a child of faith. I believe that that Abraham was able to share, possibly, what God had shared with him about why they were on top of that mountain. And that Isaac was a willing sacrifice. See, we spend so much time, well, let me back up. Proverbs 22, 6 says, bring up a child in the way they should go, and they won't depart from it, right? A a lot of times we want to raise children the way we think they should go, and then we wonder why they don't come back to that. Think about who who authored that, right? It It was by the invisible pen of the living God, raise a child in the way they should go. According to him, there's one way a child should go. The just will live by faith, right? The just will live by faith. We spend so much time trying to raise good kids. But if we want to raise God kids, we've got to help them find opportunities to trust God. And to walk in faith, we have to model it. See, good is good, right? The Bible even says that be excellent at what is good and be innocent of evil, right? Good, it's not a bad thing to be good, but good doesn't set our kids up for success over the challenges they're going to face in life. This world is full of all sorts of difficulty. And it's natural to want to shelter them from the stuff that's going to be be happening in life. But, But we try to rule out faith as much as possible, don't we? We want to rule out faith. We want to insulate ourselves from having to walk in faith. We do that by, well, I need three cars in case one of the two break down. Our culture says you should have six months worth of income saved up in case you get laid off. It's not a bad thing, right? We have insurance for our insurance. I mean, we want to insulate ourselves from every problem that could possibly come and our children see how we operate in life. But it gets to the point where we've insulated ourselves so much that we settle for things like praying for a parking spot at the mall. God doesn't even go to the mall. He doesn't even like the mall. It's allegory, right? I don't know about you, but I have prayed for a parking spot at the mall. Oh, God, give me a parking spot at the mall. Right? We pray for those things, and that's okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with praying for a parking spot at the mall. But you know what? God wants to bring us to a place where that's just second thought kind of stuff where the things that, that, fill up, that, that we're leading our children in is, is things like, I don't have any idea where the payment for the car is going to come from. Let's gather the family together and pray, right? And we pray, and we see what the Lord does through it. And things like a family member's sick, and so we're going to pray for them as a family, right? We're developing in our children a lifestyle of faith. James chapter 1 tells us that it's the struggle and faith that produces in us the righteousness of God. Did you know that? James chapter 1. Read it. It's it's an awesome, awesome chapter. It's the struggle in life with faith applied that produces in us the righteousness of God. But wait, Pastor Seth, hold on a second. Aren't I righteous already? There's a difference between being counted righteous and being righteous. Righteous. 
okay? There's a difference between being counted as righteous and being righteous. When Jesus died on the cross and when you said yes to him, when you said, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I am a sinner. Be the Lord of my life. However way you say that, there's no specific prayer. It's a humbling of one's heart, surrendered to God. When we do that, the Bible says God counts us as righteous, right? Before him, before him on judgment day, you are righteous. But there is the process of him making you righteous. Did you know that when God restores all things, when heaven comes and and all this is done, nowhere does it say that God is going to change you into all of a sudden being perfect within your thoughts and your soul and all those things. We're going to receive a new body, but you know what? We still have the ability to choose wickedness, don't we? But you know what? God is changing us and shaping us to be righteous by choice in our hearts. So that way, when that day comes, we'll have decided long ago, I'm done with sin. I'm pursuing Jesus. And when that sin nature is 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 dissolved away, we're, we're, our hearts are going to be right before the Lord because of, because of him, but he's also going to have restored us and completed a work. The, Paul said it's a work that won't be completed until the day of Christ Jesus, right? That's that work. He's, he's building righteousness in us, the righteousness of Christ. Well, I'm going to wrap things up, and I, I want to ask us this tonight, or today. We talked about the promises of God earlier for those who, who God has given a promise and, and it just hasn't happened yet. I made the point that prosperity never precedes priority. And so today I want us to take some time and reaffirm who's number one in our lives. Maybe that thing that the Holy Spirit poked about in your heart and said, this thing is taking, taking priority over me. Can we lay that on the altar today? Because we want to get to the place where God has prepared us to carry the weight of the answer to his promise. He wants to prepare us to carry and shoulder the weight of the prosperity that he has for you. But it comes as our first as our priorities are lined up. And so I want us to pray today and make God our number one. And maybe you're here today and... and, um, You've been spending so much time being focused on being a good person. Here's the awesome thing about this story about Abraham. Here we have a boy whose father had him carry the wood on which he would be the sacrifice at somewhere around age 33. Sometimes we wonder, well, how could these 66 books be authored by one God? And that is just another example of the fact that we have an author of scripture who pinned the whole thing together because a a little bit later in time we see just maybe around 1400 years we see Jesus who would carry the wood upon which he would be sacrificed on at age 33 for our sin there is a reason that, that Isaac didn't have to be the sacrifice he wasn't the perfect sacrifice Jesus was and he paid for your sin and because he is so stinking awesome he's given you promises and blessings and dreams that now he's preparing you to carry the weight of because he wants you to have more than a good parking spot 
Let's close our eyes up. Jesus, we just come before you today. And Father, I just ask right now your Holy Spirit be active and, and alive in everyone here, Lord, as, as it is. That's a dumb prayer because you already are. Father, I pray right now for those who don't know you, Jesus, that you would stir their hearts, draw them to you right now. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never received.